Welcome to the day which we set aside for the celebration as Christ the King, Christ the King Sunday. And that is clear in the passage for today, that of Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And in this passage, Jesus describes the day of judgment. But you'll notice that he first starts by saying, the Son of Man, and then quickly switches to the King. Now, he uses the Son of Man frequently as a reference to himself, and then he rolls that over into the King. So he is stating that he is indeed the King who will be doing the judgment on the judgment day. Now, I believe that this passage inspired the Apostle James when he wrote... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And James also said that true religion is to visit the widows and the orphans in their times of affliction. Very much a you-need-to-do-the-right-thing type message. Now I'll tell you right now that this passage of the Judgment Day, it is one of my two favorite passages. One of two passages that effectively frame and guide the principles of, at least in my opinion, good and proper Christian ministry. Now the other passage that is one of my favorites is from the fifth chapter of Hebrews. That's where it reads, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for the people. I find this passage to be of particular value in providing a great grounding in what should be a priestly identity. Because what does the earthly priest do? Act on behalf of humanity towards God, providing gifts and sacrifices. And how does the earthly priest interact with regard to the sins of the people? It is to be done gently. And why does the earthly priest deal with the wayward gently? Because the priest is equally beset with weakness. He too is inclined towards sin. So what is the result? The result is that the priest makes sacrifice for his own sin as well as that of the people. And this is one of the reasons why you'll find in many traditionally arranged chapels and churches and places of worship that they're set up with the altar table against the wall and that the priest is turned towards the altar during the celebration of the Eucharist portion of the Mass turned towards the wall. Now, many people mistakenly believe that this means that the priest's back is to the people, whereas in reality it means that the priest is in front and leading the people towards Christ. In military words, the posture of the priest facing the altar that is positioned against the wall indicates that the priest is, in a spiritual way, walking point while leading the people to Jesus. Now we have 
as the subject for our gospel today, the day of judgment. When I was much younger in the faith, I was in the Baptist church, and sin was a regular staple of many sermons. The focus would be on not doing those things which are wrong. There was much attention paid to the various sin lists that are given in the Bible, those of the Old Testament, of course, but especially those of the New Testament. Those like the one we would find in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, where we read of the wickedness of the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and the sinners, the unholy and the profane, those who strike their mothers and fathers, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who enslave others, the liars and the perjurers, and everything else that is contrary to sound doctrine, the list concludes. This is but one of the sin lists that you'll find in the Bible. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he included those things which are already listed, and he added idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is a fancy way of being a, saying a hostile enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions and division, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And in closing his list, Paul says, and all other things that are like these. Basically saying, just because it's not listed by name doesn't mean that it's permitted. And we can go on finding more sin lists in the Bible, but those in the New Testament are, for the most part, the same as those already mentioned. A lot of overlapping of the lists. The question, therefore, becomes what is to come of us when we see that we have one or more, and if you're anything like me, you'll probably be able to find at least a few more, of the identified sins in our background. And maybe some that we know are wrong, but the early apostles didn't list and include. They are those other things that are against sound doctrine and those other things that are like those already listed. I found that there was a great interest in my early church experience in warning the people of the coming judgment. Messages that are reminiscent of the sermon by Jonathan Edwards entitled sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In that sermon, Jonathan Edwards includes such statements as, There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean His sovereign pleasure, His arbitrary will, restrained by no obligations, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had in the least degree or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of wicked men. One moment. He goes on, They deserve to be cast into hell, so that divine justice never stands in the way. It makes no objection against God's using His power at any moment to destroy them. Yea, on the contrary, justice calls aloud for an infinite punishment of their sins. The sword of divine justice is every moment brandished over their heads 
And it is nothing but the hand of arbitrary mercy in God's mere will that holds it back. They do not only justly deserve to be cast down to hell, but the sentence of the law of God, that eternal and immutable rule of righteousness that God has fixed between Him and mankind, is gone out against them and stands against them so that they are bound over already to hell. And at that point, Jonathan Edwards is just getting warmed up in his detailed explanation of why we are all condemned and without hope, subjects of God's wrath due to those things we have done wrong. And as a, as a result of all of our transgression, Jonathan Edwards explains, it is God that holds you over the pit of hell much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire. It pours you, is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are ten thousand times abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but His hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. The reading of this sermon is actually really gripping stuff. If you've never read Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of Angry God, you may wish to do so. It's considered a classic in Puritan circles and is studied in many English literature classes as a study in the effective use of rhetoric. But, and I must say this with the absolute and utmost emphasis, do not read it for Christian doctrine. Although there are more than a few different denominations than we can count who all agree with Edward's point of view, and although we can find more Christians of all different types and their ministers who will focus on and try to get you to focus on the anger and wrath of God being stoked by sins and transgressions. Although we will find it is the practice of many to focus on all that one has done wrong and how it should elicit guilt, shame, and the promise of divine punishment, I would like for us to instead focus on what the Bible says And in a moment, especially what Jesus says in his description of the day of judgment. First, a quick return to Galatians, where just a moment ago we read Paul's sin list. Paul's guidance for those Christians who find a person caught up in one or more of those sins is not an answer of wrath. Rather, he urges brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul wrote to the Romans that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation 
by Jesus' blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because he passed over former sins so that God might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, But God being rich in mercy, because with great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift from God. The Apostle Peter wrote in his first epistle, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Of course, we have the most famous of all verses, John 3.16, in which Jesus tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whomever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I hope that you are seeing what I am seeing. That there is no wrath of God being described when it comes to sin. There is no pouring out of hatred when it comes to sins. Now, yes, indeed, we did read quite clearly that the sins that were listed in others will separate us from God, and we do not want that to happen. But Edward's styling of a God who's, who therefore wants to, in Edward's words, fire an angry arrow into your sinful heart so that it might soak in your blood is completely absent from the biblical record. Instead, we see that God loves us, wants to restore us, wants to pour His grace and mercy upon us, and wants to alleviate suffering. How is that mercy and grace to be received? John tells us quite clearly in his first epistle, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Apostle Paul tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You may be, at this point, wondering if I have forgotten that we're supposed to be covering the Gospel in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31-46, through 46, in which Jesus describes the Day of Judgment. I have not forgotten. And now with a solid understanding of sins and God's merciful and graceful response to sin, we shall turn our attention to the day of judgment. In Matthew, Jesus describes the king sitting on the throne of judgment in the last day. And in this, as already said, Jesus is describing himself. Jesus has gathered all the people of the world and they will have their lives judged. In the process, Jesus separates the righteous from the unrighteous, the good from the bad. In the words of Jesus, the sheep from the goats. The sheep, the righteous, the good. They are ushered into the kingdom of God. The goats, the unrighteous, the bad, are cast into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And remember when we read that, 
that the demons are those angels who, along with Satan, rebelled and were cast out of heaven. How does the king decide who is good and who is bad? Is it by reviewing the list of sins? Well, when we turn our attention to the passage, when Jesus says that he will use as his standard of judgment, Jesus said to the righteous, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Truly I say to you as you did it, or one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But, on the other hand, Jesus said to the unrighteous, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. St. Jerome, one of our earliest Christians, he explained the term the least of these like this. It is Christ in every poor man whom we feed when he is hungry or give drink to when he is thirsty and so of the other things. You see, in the day of judgment, Jesus will judge on what you have done right or what you have failed to do right. All the length of our lives we have and we too frequently take the opportunity to sin. The Bible responds through so many writers, that is okay, confess your sin and it will be forgiven. There is no hint of it might be forgiven. There's no hint that it may be forgiven. Or in any other form of half promise, we have a definite answer. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and is just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in this forgiveness brought to us through confession, we, can, we experience what the psalmist described. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our sins from us. As the Father shows compassion to His children, so the Lord shows compassion. When, in thinking of our sins, we ask, what will God do with me? Answer yourself this, God will love me and allow me to confess and be forgiven so that I can be with Him in His kingdom. And then, when you confess, Go out and do what is right. Because when Jesus condemns, it's not for those doing those things which are wrong. You see, we're called to confess those things and be done with them as far as the east is from the west. Those are over and done with. No, it is not the wrong that is judged. Instead, it is the failure to do what is right. Jesus warns not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the sick and the imprisoned. In other words, show mercy to others and help alleviate the suffering that others are in. This is 
the will of the Father. You want to approach the throne of judgment with confidence. Confess your sins, trust God's mercy, and show mercy to others through those works of mercy that lift people up and out of their troubles. Amen.